Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brian Kale, who's Director of Customer Success at Novo. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me here. I'm doing well during these times. You know, Happy New Year. Uh, yep. hope you're doing well as well. All good. Thank you. Yeah. Happy New Year to you. We're, uh, say, entering a new dawn. Let's hope so. But um, I have a funny suspicion that some things from 2020 and 2021 will follow us into 2022. But uh, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's uh it's the sequel, right? So I hope that we can all kind of figure out how to navigate the new normal, which is kind of what it looks like it's going to be. So, well, let, let's hope we're on the Return of the Jedi and not the Empire Strikes Back, right? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Um, I, I that's a good analogy. Good. So, Brian, let's um let's find out a bit more about you for those that might not be familiar with you, and then you can tell us a bit about Novo. So, what have you done in your career? How did you get to being director of customer success at Novo? Yeah, thank you. Um, like so many in customer experience or in in sales, you kind of trip and fall into it. And coming out of college, you know, I'd always been in you know customer service roles. I hear 80% of jobs in America might be in the service industry now. Um, coming out of college, I was fortunate enough to uh, join Obama's 2012 campaign, where honestly, I learned a lot about my current role there, You know, talking to customers. Obviously, at the time, they were voters, documenting their voices and experiences, and uh, translating that into actionable insights for companies. And it was, I'm continually amazed at how often I look back at that time and see just how much I learned that I'm leveraging today. Uh, And from there, I moved to New York and tripped and fell into startup land where I joined an artificial intelligence company uh, on their customer success team and dove into both B2B and B2C one of these kind of hybrid companies. And there I also learned how to sell mass market to consumers and focus market towards, you know, businesses and how to meet their needs and and translate them and understand them. And that's really kind of what my role is as I've, you know, over the years now I'm at Novo uh, as as the director of customer success here. And uh, I joined in 2019 and uh, just to confirm, uh, Novo is a small business banking platform here in America. And as many of you all know, and you yourself and many listeners, uh, small businesses are thriving. They're growing faster than ever. Uh, but the services that support them haven't adjusted. So Novo is is building a banking experience to meet those needs, a digital forward one, access to data, transparency, all of that. And I joined in 2019, uh, about employee number eight, a couple hundred customers. And we've since scaled dramatically. Uh, I now have a huge global team and global operations, and it's been really interesting to be on the kind of the the, the wave of this massive change in how everyone relates to work and money and the economy and jobs, and you know people are starting businesses faster than ever before, uh, and that's been really exciting. And so translating those experiences and needs as businesses turn into you know individual customers and they have you know individual needs now rather than business size needs and translating that it's been great and uh a lot of the traditional brick and mortars haven't been able to pivot to a digital experience which is why you're seeing so much innovation in fintech as there's this wide open 
uh, door uh, that the market is essentially demanding. So that's a little TLDR. Yeah, no, interesting journey, and and there's a, we'll do a bit of a name drop now because I know I know you worked on the Obama campaign when we spoke off air. Uh, yeah, on the Obama campaign, and uh, joined right out of college, and you know I obviously didn't work directly uh, for the, the president, but uh, I was in Florida on the field organizing team where I you know managed a couple hundred volunteers who built into teams and you know, knocked on doors, called uh, voters, uh, registered voters, you know, pretty standard campaign work. Um, and it was, Obama's campaign and Mitt Romney's campaign were very data-driven. So it was, it was really interesting to see how much of a startup it kind of was and how quickly it all just kind of like ended after the November election. And um, we won't, talk about what happened post obama's uh reign in terms of mr trump and, and what's happened since we'll, we'll um, leave that for an, we'll leave that for another day shall we yeah we should definitely not dive into politics i think it's amazing how much has changed in the 10 years um but that's all we can say on that right absolutely absolutely and you mentioned there when you gave kind of your career by you talked around startup land versus corporate land why do you kind of use that language and terminology? How, what makes you kind of split it that way? What things have you seen? Yeah, so the the term startup land, I don't know how it originally got coined, but I read a book early in my career called Entering Startup Land. Uh, the author escapes me, but we can find it after the, uh, the show. Um, but it basically breaks down the differences between corporate land and startup land. And I think everyone, every young professional or, you know, experienced professional truly needs to understand the difference between startup land and corporate land, especially if you're looking to switch from corporate land or join a startup in general, uh, very different companies, very different types of relationships to work and relationships to your own development that you often aren't asked or see at traditional established corporations, right? Or, Or corporate jobs. And a lot of the discourse you can see online now about work-life balance and uh, how companies work with their employees, it's it's very different in startup land. And it's not that there's not work-life balance. It's depending on what stage you're in, you're being given an opportunity to do almost anything you want at the company should you choose to. Titles are almost meaningless at early stage startups. You will have a title, but it, it will change every few months. and I think what's interesting is you're seeing, like, as these startups become the biggest companies in the world, like Facebook and everything, they it takes a long time to shed that mentality, and they carry a lot of these startup practices with them throughout their life cycle, and and I think that that's often where there's so many misalignments, specifically with like uh, new professionals coming out of college and school or existing professionals transitioning into the industries. And I think that just understanding the differences and understanding what makes them unique and what makes them, you know, good places and both sides have pros and cons, right? And so just the more you understand and know that, I think the easier it is to work at either of them. And I, I don't often see a lot of people talking about those nuances. No, no, no. I think there's a general perception there in because we've seen the rise of Facebook and, and other 
kind of companies that have gone from a small startup to viral global scale of you know amazing cool offices pool tables drinks machines everybody sat around high-fiving each other and we're all the director of this or the vp of that and that i think is a stage and a perception but clearly and i've started my own business you have you you work harder than ever before in that initial phase because it all comes back to you. As you said, you may have two or three different job titles, but you know, you're the IT guy, you're the customer guy, you're the complaints guy, you're the sales guy, you're the jack of all trades, potentially master of none for for a long while as you build that momentum, that value, the the uh, product that you're developing, whatever it might be, it all centers around you. And, and that must be a big transition for some people in terms of traps they can fall into um progress might stall because you almost sit on your laurels and think you've done a really good job really quickly so you, you must see lots of that stuff as well and maybe you've experienced some of it yeah that is you, you've identified it right on the nail on the head that is a huge pitfall uh early stage you know if you're joining a seed or a round company hopefully you're getting a good equity package because the reality is is that you're going to work harder than you've ever worked in your life and if you don't like if you don't want to like do that know that you should not join that company going in it's not you know it's it's just kind of you're building a company from ground up and if you don't show up like there's only like six people it's going to be felt um but as you said as smaller startups go through the funding rounds and evolve there is often this transitory period where the people that helped you start your company may not translate to later stage growth companies and acquisition companies. Um, there, there's all this terminology around like, uh, you know, growers, scalers and acquirers and things like that. And it's kind of true. A lot of people, I know a lot of people in the industry who only like to start the companies. And then after a certain round, like, B and C round, they they leave. And I also know people who only join C and later because you know they don't want to do the early stuff. And so asking, understanding what is expected at each round, and the rewards of each round, right? And, and that will help everyone. So I've seen people not be able to translate from seed to B and C rounds, and I've seen people who have come into seed rounds and A rounds and not been able to translate because they're used to seen beyond rounds or fully fleshed out companies and it's just making sure the expectations are set and it's understanding um and again this often is interpreted as no work-life balance but the reality it's 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 different than that it's you're kind of a mini founder and hopefully you're getting the equity package to relate that and if you're not you should really consider uh, evaluating any company that's lowballing you that early um because it, that's that's the reward and, and there's high risk high reward and that's often why so many people avoid early companies but i personally find a lot of fulfillment in that that early round of the chaos and and turning chaos into order and building structure i like building lego so that that's kind of like how i i, I translated almost and you must have seen some of that in Novo. You say, I think you were employee number eight, were you? In terms of how it's grown, the scale, maybe some people that have joined since you and helped drive it on, maybe some people that have left that have helped fuel the the um, acceleration of growth by not being around. 
Yeah. And we're fortunate that a lot of our earlier employees, like, yes, we have, uh, you know, not everyone is meant to stay at every company forever. And some of our early employees uh, have transitioned um, because, you know, they, they wanted like their roles, you know, as people come in above you, you either need to adapt or not. And it's fine. And, and also often a lot of early stage employees are very young professionals. And so they want to get more experience and more training and take the next steps in their career. And so it's very valuable that, you know, if you have three, four years of vesting, like sure, there's tons of opportunity to stay long, but no, if you, it, like it's often in your best interest to switch and go take the next step somewhere else and get a fresh perspective. And yeah, we've also brought in some industry uh, experienced players and they bring, you know, a different perspective and their experience, they're able to see through, um, you know, startup BS and really cut to the chase and it raises the bar for everyone and you have to, you know, adjust to it or not. And it's, it's, it's up to every individual almost and companies have a responsibility to help transition, make sure they're giving you feedback. But as a young professional or any professional in this transitory period, you make sure that you are also investing in yourself. And it's fine if you, if you're not, but like, are you reading the materials and the books in the industry and about your field? Have you, how do you go from wearing 20 hats to wearing one or two hats and making sure that you're in the vertical that it matches your skill set or needs. And that's often the pitfall I see is that people go from doing 20 things and they're now being asked to do one and they don't really know which one they want to do or they don't fully know. And that's often where I see most of the difficulties with transitions. I was fortunate that I was brought in so early to focus on my discipline of customer experience. And so I, you know, I've worn a million hats. But I've always been in customer experience and customer success. And so it's like, I, I, you know, I'm not even that old. And I was like one of the oldest people at the company and most experienced. So I should give you some context that I'm talking about, like starting out of college in 2012, joining a company. And I'm one of the most experienced people at the company uh, with like eight to 10 years of experience. So, And it, it, must, yeah, it must lead then to sometimes having founders or co-founders owners of businesses that that can't let go that almost stunt the growth or find themselves in a world that's highly unproductive because as you say they've gone from doing being manic doing 20 30 different jobs or things in the business down to one or two that might not be their exact skill set or the things that even they enjoy doing it's just where they've ended up falling that that is also true Uh, many founders are Real people, especially this early on, they haven't become like Elon Musk, this mythical character. Uh, they're real people, and especially first-time founders or second-time founders, they're doing the same thing. They're doing something for the first time as well. Often, like in my case, I was brought in as the expert. They had no idea how to do the stuff that they were asking me to do, and that was the opportunity for me. And and so as we scale, founders transition from founders to CEO or CTO to CFO, things like that. And you'll usually see around the B to C, the B round or early A, founders will switch from a founder to executive. And I would advise anyone joining an early company, make sure you're interviewing the founder as much as they're interviewing you because you're sticking a lot on that person. And if that you want to make sure that they can scale and transition. And no, I feel very fortunate, Novo, that Michael and Tyler – 
have brilliantly adapted over the three years I've been with them. Like the first year, uh, you know, everyone, all those stories you're talking about, Facebook, you know, that's that's very common at very early companies with a couple hundred customers, right? It's it's kind of wild, but you know, the buttoning up over the last three years has been amazing, and watching their development and my development alongside them has been very rewarding. That's good to hear. And again, as as companies grow at pace, they scale at pace in terms of the number of heads and employees, and it. Again, it must be a challenge, and you, I assume you've seen that. You know, there's new employees come in; they need some mentoring, but they've also got to hit the ground and be productive almost from the get-go because of the pace of change and pace of growth, and potentially the small team that's got to deliver that. Definitely, I think, especially now with remote work, and I think it's going to be here for a very long time, if not forever, for many roles. if you're at a company and transitioning, it is very difficult to transition uh, from like a leader to a manager. Uh, productivity changes and what you think of as productivity changes. Uh, individual contributors are not always the best managers and, and identifying that and being okay and comfortable and, and keeping the right expectations. And for new professionals entering the workforce, especially those who spent the last two, almost three years now in remote college settings, understand that it's going to be harder than ever to join companies, learn how to be productive, learn the company culture and kind of learn your role. Uh, Because previously you would be in an office, have casual face-to-face time and conversations and pick up things just through osmosis, which doesn't exist anymore. And everyone, you know, going remote, uh, a lot of companies and a lot of employees are relearning productivity in a remote setting. Um, and making sure that you're not falling into those traps. It's very easy to have meetings now with remote. So people's calendars are going to fill up with meetings. Um, you know, often I hear young people, I ask them what they do sometimes. And it's like, well, I was in five meetings today. I answered Slack in my emails and now I'm tired. But like, when you look at it, it's like they didn't do anything. And yes, there's a lot of value in all those things. I'm not going to deny that. But like, you want to make sure that you're balancing information gathering with output of said information and i think too many people overload on the information gathering and you want to make sure that you're getting the information you need and executing and quickly picking up new ideas and tasks because if your role continues to be remote it's going to change even more um constantly the innovation of technology is changing the way we relate to work faster than ever before that's not a surprise to say and so I would advise anyone to be very comfortable with learning something new all the time. Like you should be adapting and growing all the time and being ready to learn 60% of something pretty quickly to stay relevant in your roles um, as companies are reshifting uh, workforces. Uh, and that's a whole litany of statements behind that statement that I don't, we can get into if we need to, right? Yeah, different different way of learning, different way of keeping people together. And I think it's an interesting point you make. I was reading something the other day around people being proud that they were coming out of back-to-back meetings. So, you know, they'd start 9 a.m. with a Zoom call, Google Meet, Hangout, whatever, through till 5, 6. But actually it was proved that they were the most unproductive people. It's not not necessarily a badge of honour to be back-to-back. And we've, we've still got to adapt to that to a degree. There's not many virtual meetings I'll go to where there's much time for 
how you're doing, what's happening. It's kind of quick hello and then straight into business. Yeah, I think so. This is the dangers of staying remote. I know what I'm about to say could be controversial, as I know it's very, a lot of people have opinions on it, but like companies, when they were forced to go to remote because of COVID, started adopting different ways of measuring productivity because they kind of had to. And it's not like they were trying to big brother people, it was just kind of like a necessity. Like, how do we organize projects and how do we organize things? And a lot of startups already had these things. But traditional companies are adopting them for the first time. And unfortunately, what they're finding is a significant portion of their workforce might be redundant, might just be meet in meetings all the time. And we're already slowly seeing companies adjust to it. They're not going to do it all at once. Just like in 08, uh, it's a multi-year kind of transition. But you're going to see companies shedding uh, certain roles and onboarding other roles. And um, it's not to say that everyone's jobs are going away. It's just companies are going to shuffle around during this time. And, and with the great, you know, the great retirement, which has been mislabeled as the great resignation happening, uh, a ton of established, uh, you know, workers are retiring. Obviously, a bunch of uh, non-retiring workers are resigning and switching roles. And I think that this will only further continue into 2022, three and 24 um, as companies adjust to new ways of productivity or adjust towards roles like data analysts or da- data scientists, uh, you know, business insights analysts and soft skills roles as well. And th- that's a whole podcast topic in itself. Um, but so if you find that, that you're not kind of, that's all you're doing every day. Some meetings can definitely just be emails, right? Not to, not to just jump on that meme, but like there's a lot of meetings that are just kind of happening that are going to slowly go away as companies start better understanding output. Um, no, I agree. I think it's going to be an in, an interesting journey, especially those that have gone really early to say they're never going back to offices and it's all going to be remote working from here on in. I think uh, there'll be a 360 at some point and they'll they'll understand what potential they're missing by working that way. But clearly there's some gains from being more agile and remote as well. Yeah. And just to clarify, uh, hybrid is great. Hybrid, you know, sometime at home or sometimes remote. And then in the office, like I'm not advocating for 24-7 in an office. Uh, I am advocating against 24-7 working from home. Like if like take if your company gives you the opportunity to flexibly travel or work remotely, I would highly advise not working from your home or finding a central hub location of other employees in your company or going to your company more often if possible. As you said, um, I think those entering the workforce fully remote and who never go in, this will have a measurable impact on their income over their lifetime. And if you want to talk about how we get to Ready Player One, where you're living in the metaverse, working from the metaverse in a chair and you sleep in the same chair, uh, working from home is how that happens. Um, it's, It's like a drift. Companies will just slowly drift. And I... I fell into this trap in the beginning of COVID too. I was working from home. I loved it. I was like, oh, I'm so much more productive. And But after 12 months, I was like going crazy. I was working long hours, not because anyone asked me to. It's just kind of a trap you fall into. And so it puts a, 
like, yes, a lot of roles and a lot of people can work from home 24-7, no sweat. But it requires you have to learn the skills and your company has to manage and balance. And we're in this time where companies don't have that fully figured out yet. And employees don't either. So it's like you can see this perfect storm of, of escalation. And I just want people to, to be aware of that. And there's studies that show the further you are away from the person who decides your salary, the lower the, the lower the chance, like your chances of having a lower salary go up. And this was data from before COVID. Um, and so I would caution people around, especially new professionals, around just gung-ho, never wanting to go to an office. Um, now, I know that that's not always true, but I would highly encourage people to try to experience an office as possible, obviously in the context of Omicron we're talking now, um, but you know this is going to be around for, for probably the rest of our lives and figuring out how we can manage and, and uh, like I'm working from home for the next month, right? But like how we can adjust and grow with it, I think is going to be very important for people's long-term career goals. No, I agree. And I think it's interesting that point on kind of salary. I think there's a linked piece to that around promotion as well. So if you're not visible in an office in a hybrid world and you're always working remotely, how does that sit when a promotion um, opportunity comes up? Does your boss take the person that they see more physically? How does it work? How do you keep it fair? So I think that there's loads of stuff that's going to unravel still. Um, yes. um, while we're on controversial topics, then let's finish on crypto. Um talking about banking so it is, is um i kind of follow it to a degree and you know see all the new ones that come to market there's one which is named after a dog now isn't there or it's got a dog uh face on the the token um it is that going to change the world certainly from a, a banking point of view are we going to be working in cryptocurrencies i see some of the bigger organizations retailers are starting to look at taking it as as payment um but i think for lots of people it's still quite unknown and confusing right yeah i think i saw a report somewhere that only about four to five percent of americans have ever purchased any sort of crypto currency or nft um I, I, that said the technology and the concepts behind crypto i think one have been around for a while and are we are definitely going to be experiencing them and the changes they bring uh, a lot of it is simply virtual currencies not necessarily crypto which i know those two terms get thrown out together um anyone who's familiar with the video game industry has been using virtual currencies to purchase things like nfts in video games for 20 plus 30 years now uh world of warcraft uh fortnite uh, there's you know tons of things like i don't want to get skins right and What's interesting is that all the metaverse, so many video game companies are going to be at the cutting edge of the metaverse and the digitalization of currencies, of work, and you know how we connect with art, like with NFTs, is all it's all part of the same, like this digitalization push, which is being branded as the metaverse for marketing purposes. But this has been around, like the metaverse type of stuff has been around for forever now and it's just you know just like with ai and cloud computing 10 years ago this is just like the marketing spin on it as it's coming more and more into the mainstream um so with cryptocurrencies in borderless like yes uh, you're seeing square amazon you know even facebook all of them are talking about having virtual currencies 
And there's going to be a lot of questions around uh, who controls money supply and border-to-border payments and access to funds. And I think one of the reasons why there's so much adoption of cryptos in general is the amount of people globally who are underbanked is ridiculous. And so, but they're not going to be blocked from buying crypto. So often it's like how they get access to the modern economy is through crypto because the banks in their countries don't service them or recognize them. And that will only continue and be it through crypto, be it through, you know, Square, who I know just rebranded, but they're going to be Square forever, right? And, you know, even Amazon, as they accept any form of digital currency, be it a crypto or an in-house currency or even a digital dollar, you know, uh, the CBDCs, right? The central digital currencies. And so I, I, I think things like Bitcoin and Ethereum are 100% going to be around for a long time. Now, for Dogecoin, which is the one you're talking about, I don't know how long that one will be around. I think there will be a settling on applicable, you know, currencies, you know, ones that have application and, and, and can be used in ways that do provide value. And then there's going to be like the value store ones, which is like Bitcoin is a value store. And, and Doge theoretically could be, but uh, I think I, I think the reality is is that governments or larger corporations are going to just push us towards digital currencies, and the question then becomes is will they accept cryptos? And it's to be seen. I'm sure they will. Some of them will, um, but th- that that whole thought process, depending on what time scale we're talking about, this could go on for. Like what's it going to be like in a hundred years is, is could definitely come up in this conversation. And I don't know if we want to go that far out. No, let's, let's park it there. Cause I think uh, yeah. there's, there's plenty, plenty more to, uh, to go in that world. And I suppose it's the kind of Betamax versus VHS debate. If you were around when the, those two emerging video tape technologies were around, you, you didn't want to be left with a pile of Betamax cause VHS became the, the only and dominant player. So it's, um, yeah, very very akin to that, isn't it? Very akin to yeah, that. Yeah, I think that that is also another good analogy. And we're talking about a world where the money, access to money and access to funds, the barriers are being broken. And crypto is another way of, of currently accessing wealth. And there's a ton of opportunity for individuals and businesses. And as you said, like, recognize what the Betamax is and what the VHS tape is and you can capitalize on that. Like in, it's not inconceivable in 10 years that Visa and MasterCard get acquired or go out of business. And that's like, that's not, a, there's a non-zero chance that, that will happen. Uh, you know, so any, almost anything is possible right now when it comes to any science fiction idea, it's just on a what time scale again. And so disruptions to the way we work, to how we access funds and, and wealth and how we start businesses is all, it's all this evolving narrative, which is being rebranded as the metaverse, but it, it's all this digitalization and rapid access towards, you know, data and money. Amazing. Well, Brian, it's been a real pleasure to catch up and chat. We've, we've covered some great stuff and hopefully the listeners will will find it interesting. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to find you? Uh, they can uh, hit me up on Twitter at Brian W. Kale 
or uh, LinkedIn, which is just Brian Kale as well. And then obviously you can find us uh, at Novo. It's uh, banknovo.com. Brilliant. And final question from me then, which everybody gets on the podcast, is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? Aha. Best bit of business advice. Uh, I would say on my professional side, um, especially at startup land, you know, no one really knows what they're doing. Um, You know, so if you're able to understand that, you can be liberated to learn anything you want. Like people, I, like so many, I was under the impression that you come out of college and ready to just hit the ground running at a company. No, you have to like learn how to, do all these things. And from a small business perspective, uh, from the American side, for our business owner, um, incorporate, like, yes, if you're a sole prop, great. You're already a step ahead of most people. Uh, go get your LLC. It's it's not that expensive in the grand scheme of things. And the amount of opportunity it provides you in America, uh, you know, don't know about the UK, uh, is, is tremendous. And now more than ever, anyone can start a business with little capital using your laptop and get a product out the door pretty quickly. And this is only going to speed up. Companies are only going to get smaller and you can start your own business. Now, if you've been kicking around an idea, go do it. Um, You can start it as a side hustle and then build into it. Uh, And that's really exciting. And so feel liberated that your hobbies are valuable to someone and um, don't stop. Right. Like just keep going. Amazing. Good advice. Good advice. Brian, absolute pleasure. Really appreciate you coming on and we'll catch up soon. Uh, Thank you. It was great to be on and love to catch up again.